0: Welcome to the Beekeepers Corner Podcast. January fourteenth, twenty twenty four, episode two hundred and thirty four Tonks Hello everyone, it's mid January already and the holiday season is behind us. It's all gone by so quickly, and in due course, spring will be upon us, and so will the 2024 beekeeping season. I'm Kevin England, and yeah, this is take three for me on this episode. I recorded this show in the last week of December, didn't like what was there, and redid it with the intention of releasing it last week. Then I switched it up once more, and well, now, three weeks later, and here we are. The topics, they're a mix of things I did during the holiday season with a few odds and ends, and I'm happy to get this one on the airwaves after futzing with it for a few iterations, and here's what I'm going to have in store for you. In this episode, I'm going to talk about making your own foundation sheets, spending time improving your workspace, plans that I have for reading a new book that came my way in the holidays, I'll tell you what it is. Creating a simple concoction with a propolis extract for severely chapped lips. A recipe for orange honey butter and the backstory of creating a vanilla bean infused honey. I'll round out the episode with a new hive offering on the market that might steer the industry in a new direction. And a short aside about how this is the perfect time to make plans for your 2024 beekeeping season. Last thing I want to say before we get going, if you want to reach out to me, kevin at bkcorner.org is my email address. And our website, where you will find show notes for all the episodes, is www.bkcorner.org. I'll also ask that if you could, do like and subscribe to the podcast in your player. Leave a comment if you wish. It helps others. Find the show. And uh, it's great when there's interactions between users as it helps with the algorithm also to you folks who made it out to either hive life or expo hope you had a good time if you care write me and let me know how the show went let's jump in and get things going we'll start with round table number one and how to make wax foundation Roundtable number one, this is odds and ends, have three things to talk about. The first one is, apparently Kevin was a good boy this year because Santa brought me a gift. The brand name is H-N-D-T-M. And what this thing is that I physically have right here on the desk in front of me is a silicone beeswax foundation mold for making honeycomb sheets. The first thing I'll say about this is at the cost of $40. Do you really need one of these? Probably not. I don't know that people are gonna spend their afternoons melting wax, pouring it in here, putting it into a foundation sheet, embedding the wire and doing all that rigmarole when you can point and click your way to um, twenty hundred sheets foundation right off of a website. However, From a make-your-box-bigger bucket list thing, and for some practicality for me personally, I think this is kind of a cool thing to try. Now, why do we want to give this a go? We have wax to use. Over the years, the capping wax that we've pulled from doing honey harvesting has accumulated in the basement. And we keep it there when we make um, different products of the hive lip balms and other things and we have wax to use when i purchased the land's hive it came with wax foundation sheets from france as part of what leo shereshkin sells and it's clean pure no neonicotinoids wax i guess that was one of the selling points of it and i got to thinking to myself well you know this is season two of treatment-free beekeeping for me, and as such, the, the cappings wax that we pulled in 2023 should be clean, fundamentally. I mean, I'm sure there are some things that came from what the bees visited and all that other stuff, but generally, it's not going to have Kumafos and fluvalinate in it, which are the two products that are known in commercially available beeswaxes. That being said, that is not the motivation. The point is, I always wanted to try and make my own foundation. Now, every time I've ever seen videos of people using this device, which I'll explain to you what it looks like in a moment, the foundation is different from what you would get coming from a manufacturer. The beeswax presses or molds or however they do it in the commercial space makes a nice, thin, perfectly embossed, beeswax. The ones that you build at home when you pour your own wax into a silicone mold tend to be heavy and thick and use a lot of wax. Downside and a good side, I I don't know, I guess it depends on whether your glass is half empty or half full. The way this thing works is it has two silicone sheets, a yin and a yang. They lay on top of each other. You pin one end to a board And you peel the top up that sits over the bottom piece. You pour your wax in and then it spreads down across until it fills the sheet and it overflows the end, which you trim off. And if you leave it sit for a period of time, you can then pull the top up and slide the bottom under like you do with silicone and you'll be able to extract the sheet from it. I plan to follow the less L-E-S, gold process. I'll have a link to the YouTube video. I've seen a bunch of different ways that people make this. To me, what he did in the video is what inspired me to want to try this. He has a, I don't want to say a crock pot, but like a little pan heated to a consistent temperature with a wax melted. And he uses a ladle and he spreads it onto the mold and then he takes the mold which the top is pulled up and he lays the one end down and he curls it flat all the way and as it curls and closes it pushes the wax all the way down to the right side of the sheet and when he closes it it overflows and it makes a consistent and flat sheet all the way through you have to watch the video it's pretty amazing BKcorner.org, episode 233. Click on the YouTube video. It only takes a minute to see how he does it. It's pretty pretty ingenious. Beeswax sheet candles. Have you ever seen these? You can buy beeswax from the store without wires in it. And a lot of times, and we do this sometimes at our fair, you could take them from the short end and roll them into a candle Obviously, you would put a wick in the middle of it and sell them. People sell them as beeswax candles. So I thought that would be another novel thing to consider to try. Anyway, wax foundation, sheet, maker, molder, thingamabop. Check. I'm going to try this out. Uh, One of the things I'm going to do in the next week is the collection of wax that we have is in piles of shards and so on. I'm going to melt it all down into consistent pucks. It's just hunks of wax stuck into Ziploc bags, and I want to clean that area up. As you'll see, I'll talk about the next part of this in a moment. Next topic, production improvement, desk organization, and I have to say something so stupid is the actual microphone from which I'm recording. So I'm constantly changing my man cave production workspace looking to optimize what I guess is my command center. If you've ever seen a picture, I think there's some floating out there on the world of my office that I have down in my basement. I have a typical long table four by eight or whatever it is. And next to it, I have a desk and on the desk I set my laptop and I have a screen and that's where I do my work from home but next to it is the production area where I do this show, I make videos, and I do whatever things that I have. And I have this big... I have this computer sitting here with two 27-inch screens and a 24-inch screen in the middle. And then I have another small screen up to the left and a TV hanging off the wall. I know that sounds excessive, but take a moment. I do broadcasting with... Uh, A TV company that does sim racing esports and when you've ever seen anyone do a broadcast like NFL or you know the production studio they have a bunch of screens so that they can have stats and the live feed and all that other stuff plus notes and so I have all these screens well it's also what I use to produce the show so currently I have some notes over on the right-hand screen I have the Amazon uh, link open to the beeswax foundation and in the center screen, I have the software that's recording the show and so on. All this to be said is, it's a train wreck. and <laughs> You're in a constant state of trying to get it to work with you, not against you. So I bought this arm that mounts to the desk. It's a pole that goes up and it clamps to the desk and it has all these arms that come off. And the point of that is, you could use that to mount the monitors. I have two monitors mounted on it. I have the webcam monitor um, set to it, I have a spare arm which I'm probably going to put some lights, I use that for producing managed mentoring, and the most important thing is, something so stupid, I finally have a boom for my microphone. Typically I had it on a handstand and I kept setting it on the floor and doing different things, so much better. It's just the stupid little things that makes it better and frees up the space. But ideally, I get better microphone placement too, which helps. And, you know, my next steps constantly trying to improve the situation is to do cable organization off the back and maybe put the desk on wheels so I can roll it around. So, yeah, who knows where it goes. I have to say, and this is a Kevin moment, I have this fancy schmancy computer which has these RGB lights in them and they never worked. You ever see those really cool like gaming machines where they glow? I could turn the lights out now, and I get this green and yellow and rainbow hues coming out of the glass side of the case. Yeah, I feel kind of accomplished. I've always wanted to have that, and now I do. Okay, more productive things. I found my workshop. Uh, when my father-in-law in my... My in-laws own the home. One of the things that George did was build a workshop in the back of the basement. It's just a workbench and it has a bunch of storage racks and other things. It's been a highly neglected area. I've spent a considerable amount of time recently invested in purging, organizing, cleaning, rearranging, and most importantly, updating the lighting. The lighting in there was probably the biggest frustration because it had the old tube lights Ugh, I don't, don't, they give me horror nightmares. There are now four two foot, 5000K, 6000K lights. It's like daylight back there. It's amazing. And it's so much um, of an improvement in the workspace just to have proper lighting. So what goes back there? Well, obviously it's a workshop. It has tools and screwdrivers and knives and a nice, really nice workbench. But I have mead racks and storage of my mead equipment, candle supplies, lip balm, lotion box for making lotions, wax storage that I was just talking about. And this is where I do my winter projects. So one of the winter projects, which been on the list for two years, and I started in this year, was... A Hive Tool Holster Project. After doing research forever, this is the most overanalyzed thing that I think I've ever done in my life, I finally started to put the design up and come up with it. One of the things I wanted to do was create... How do you explain this? I'm not into weapons, but my son loves Guns. He goes hunting and he does all this stuff, and he has a handgun, and he puts it in holster, and the holster is made of this hard plastic that's form-fitted to the actual gun. Or you could put knife sheaths in it. Most people are familiar with multi-tools that you put into a, a container, and they sometimes are plastic and hard-formed. Those things are made with plastic extrusion products. One of the brands is Kydex. K Y D E X. And so Danny, my son, knew that I wanted to create this hive tool holster. He bought me a couple sheets of Kydex. You put this stuff in a toaster oven. You could heat it with a heat gun. You could put it in your normal oven. You heat it up to about 100 degrees, and it becomes flexible, almost like a soft leather. And then you could press it against whatever you're trying to form, and under pressure with these foam mats, I won't go into this, it will hold the shape and when it cools off, it stays there. And so I made a custom billet to have the form where you could stick your hive tool in and it'll hold it. And this hard plastic backing will keep from scraping. And then you use these grommets that are screws. I think they're called Chicago style. I'm pretty sure that's the name of them off the top of my head, but Ultimately, I'm working on trying to build a hive tool holster. In fact, I'm going to go back at it this afternoon after a couple tries of working with this Kydex. My problem is I don't know how much to heat it, and I had to do even more research last night to figure this out. I heated it enough to get it soft, but it did not form a great impression. The good news with the Kydex, if you don't overheat it, you can put it back in the oven and soften it again. And go at it again until you get it right. And so this afternoon I'm going to make the piece that sits over top of the hive tool. And yeah, I guess I'll talk about this. More to come on my hive tool holster and I'll describe it when I'm done. But yep, had a good time with odds and ends over this Christmas holiday break and more to do. Didn't get to everything but did quite a bit so I'm happy with that. Round table number two, I called this one kissable. My lips were killing me. If I think back to early December, mid-December, I don't know if I was dehydrated, not taking care of my lips well, neglected them. It's, It's ironic because I've created lip balm, amazing lip balms. In fact, we handed some out last night to family. But sometimes I let my lips go too long and they require a more severe intervention. And when this happens, I turn to plan B. I keep a small jar with a simple mixture that does wonders for healing my dry, painful, cracked lips. It's a mixture of simple Vaseline and a propolis extract. I put a teaspoon of Vaseline in a small little jar. And I add some drops of the propolis extract. And I just stir it until it's incorporated and mixed through. To describe that better, you just simply mix it with something like the end of a chopstick or something until there's no more liquid present. I have this spot on my lip which is not too dissimilar to a cold sore. And like a dope, I want to peel off the dry skin and I'm always fussing with it. And I don't know, taking your dirty fingers and putting them to your lips all the time. I need some sort of intervention plan to stop doing that, but... The way that I want to solve that is putting a dab of this concoction on my lips to correct the problem. After one week of intervention, the results were amazing. I went from a dry, festering mess to a healed, almost back to normal, clear area in that specific place. And the pain has subsided from the injury to the tissue, and overall the health of my lips have been The recovery of them have been quite remarkable. I ask you, is there anything more annoying than dealing with cracked lips? When you're in that place, you yearn for one thing, relief, and really quickly. And actually, I could find one other thing that's a nuisance. Wait, Kevin, moment. This reminds me of the movie The Replacements, where Jimmy McGinty asks players to admit their fears. The Orlando... Jones character Clifford Franklin says spiders and then Danny Bateman says I'm scared of bees coach I'm allergic to bees and if I got stung by a bee I'll die and I don't want to die coach I'm too young to die that that whole movie is so quotable end of Kevin moment back to the topic my bees moment (laughs) I don't like is cracked skin on my heels I'm sorry if this is an overshare, but I think I'm going to have to break out the Vaseline propolis concoction for that too, or maybe some sort of derivative. There's a recipe in the FOA guide for a honey paste for wound dressings. It's a three-part mixture, 10 parts beeswax to three parts propolis extract to two parts honey. You melt those things in a double boiler and then you just turn off the heat. When it's cooling, you stir in the honey and the propolis to make sure that everything's really fully incorporated. And you're left with this paste that is spreadable and would be a potent mix to put on something like cracked heels. I think you have to use care though. If you put this on your feet and then you put white socks over them, your socks would no longer be white if you think about what propolis does. It's still, it's a pretty potent form of dry skincare. I think of it like Utters Cream. Have you ever heard of this? It's not a beekeeping product, but my father as a bricklayer used to come in and his hands would be shredded from working with cement blocks all day. This is a cream that they put on their hands for farmers. When they used to milk the cows by hand and their hands would get ruined, this stuff would solve your hands. I think of this FAO product like that. As to the Vaseline variation that I started with, one of the real pleasant side effects of it is you're not only healing your poor, dry, cracked lips, but the propolis infused mixture tastes really great. Quite pleasant and it truly makes you kissable in short order. Round table number three, bad beekeeping. Once a year I try to add some sort of book to the library. And this year it wasn't me, it was Sharon that did the deed. We saw Ron Mishka present, nope, let me do that again, Ron Miksha. I always do that and I don't know why. Present at the Western Apiculture Society conference in Calgary, we found him to be really intelligent, smart, and had a ton of stories. I wish we could have spent more time with him in our encounter of those couple of days. But Ron produced a book called Bad Beekeeping. I don't know uh, the backstory of this. Ron's in Canada, and I don't didn't have much exposure to him. However. There's times I've come across different things while doing research and found that he has a large volume of work in the background, akin to, and I don't want to draw a complete analogy, but someone like Michael Bush, if you've never heard of him, you can look up Michael Bush, who wrote a book about all the things Michael Bush ever did, and he wrote a lot in forums and contributed a lot to beekeepers in. Uh, supplying them answers to questions, similar to like a B-Culture editorial where someone asked a question and he would relay the experience. And at some point they encouraged Michael to write a book, and he did, and the book is outstanding. And it's kind of one of those unusual books in that it's a free-form, it's just a bunch of different topics organized the best that it can be, but it shows you true insider baseball of, Someone that is, dare I say, uh, a more down-to-earth, not commercial person writing about beekeeping. It's more of the encounters, both local and regional, for someone who does beekeeping at a hobbyist level. And so, if I look through this book, which I happen to have in my hand, it's a series of stories and, and encounters and adventures and different experiences that Ron had experienced and my guess is looking at the book with no background knowledge that someone encouraged him to take his body of work and publish it. I don't know much about Canadian beekeeping. I always made the joke that if you were going to get, you know, banished to the place like Siberia, my thing would be you'd be sent to Saskatchewan. while well, these guys are from <laughs> Saskatchewan. But this is 300 plus pages of different beekeeping experiences. And one of the things I do, I'm not somebody that loves to read a real book. I just typically don't find time to sit down and open up a paper book and read it. I've listened to dozens upon dozens of audiobooks. I currently just finished uh, Tom Clancy, what was it? Bear and the Dragon. If you know the Jack Ryan series, they're like 24 hours a book and I think it's the 7th or 8th one in the series. I'm reading them in order. And I listen to them in fits and spurts, but a book like this that's 300, I can't sit and read it. I just don't have the attention span. If I go on vacation somewhere, I take a book like this and I spend hours at a time just reading through it. I just read Billy Pouch, who's a race car driver the last cowboy book which is outstanding and this one is the next one on my vacation list I'll peek at it every once in a while I keep them handy and I might read a chapter I take a little plastic flag and stick it in so I can always come back to the exact spot where I left off and I try not to mark up my books but every once in a while if I find something amazing I put a little flag in it so I can come back if I ever pick the book up and go back to the interesting passages. You ever see those little, you tear them off like a little tab and you stick them on your book? That way you don't have to highlight your book or write in your book. I I don't know. I find that it's just against my nature. But the little tags work great. And they, you know, if you ever decide to tear them off, they don't hurt anything. Anyway, Bad Beekeeping by Ron Miksha. I'm excited to have this book in my library and I know that the next vacation this summer this will be stuck in the bag and I'll spend a little time with it and enjoy it. What I like about this type of book too is it's a bunch of different short stories and so that you could sit and read a passage and you know maybe it's 10 pages 15 pages and you get to share some sort of little experience which Life is nothing but a series of experiences. And, you know, I think I'm really going to enjoy the format of this book. Bad Beekeeping by Ron Miksha. I'm sure you can find it online or find it somewhere. It's from 2004 and it's a series of stories going back to who knows how long. I see pictures that look like they're from the 60s and 70s. you know, the last thing to say about this is it tends to give you a glimpse of what beekeeping was like. Like Someone like Ron probably did beekeeping before Varroa mites, and you get to learn what that's like. And I'm sure there's a chapter in here about when the mites came to town, and you get to get a sense of what it's like when the it's almost like a pandemic hitting when mites came. So that I find is interesting, these type of books, and uh, I love to have this kind of Thing in my library. It, it is so hard sometimes to sit and read a book that's all about biology and other things. Uh, I, you just can only get so far and they end up being more like reference. Uh, one book I had out this just recently was the Eva Crane book on honey which is spectacular. There's such unusual and Reference information about honey that you can find in no other place. In fact, look what's right here on my desk. So Yeah, bad beekeeping by Ron Miksha. Pretty happy to have this one Roundtable number four orange honey butter You know, when the weekends come, it's a time to relax and enjoy ourselves. And a lot of times, Sharon and I try to find at least one of the days, Saturday or Sunday, to make ourselves something special for breakfast. This weekend, I'm kind of thinking, and every once in a while, I don't know about you, I get to be jonesing for some pancakes, especially cornmeal pancakes. That's what I have on the brain. And I know deep in the vault, there's an orange honey butter recipe that i have in mind to go with it and so we typically try to figure this stuff out during the week we go shopping on friday and we make them on the weekends so let me tell you what's in this and then i'll tell you how to prepare it you need one large orange one and a third cups of orange juice stick a pin in that i'll be back to a moment a stick of butter a tablespoon and a half of honey and just a dash of salt now i said one and a third cups of orange juice really and and this is uh telling of the ingredients the actual orange is used so that you could have two parts you want to be able to zest the orange and then obviously you don't want to waste the orange so you would juice that orange and take as juice You could buy oranges. You'd need about six or seven of them to get fresh-squeezed orange juice all the way through. Or, if you don't want to be fussy about it, you just buy orange juice and pour it in. So your choice, whether you want to do it that way. But I do think, or, you know, the fact of the matter is you could just buy all orange juice and skip the zest in the butter. But I kind of think that the little flecks of orange zest and the flavor of the zest actually improve the overall outcome of the honey butter that you make. Anyway, going to the process, if you do choose to buy the orange, then you're going to zest it with a microplane. And you set the zest aside and then juice the orange into a small pan. Take the rest of the orange juice, one and third cup, and add it to the small saucepan and set it over medium-high heat and stirring constantly you're going to cook it down until it forms a syrup it should make about two tablespoons of orange syrup when you cook all the water out of it your choice as to how far down you want to cook it set that aside and let it cool because the next step is to take the stick of butter place it into a bowl Have it soften just a little bit at room temperature. Don't take it right out of the fridge. You're going to pour the orange juice over the honey, add the zest, and just a dash of salt. And you're going to take hand beaters, or if you're more adventurous, you can beat it with a wooden spoon. And just blend it together until it's completely combined. After you're done, scoop it out, put it in a ramekin, and set it in the fridge takes about two hours for it to firm up, but afterwards you have an amazing honey butter that you can use on your pancakes, you could use on toast, you can use on anything. It's a little fussy and takes a little time, but in the end, the product that you have can be used for all kinds of different things that you desire. And the fact of the matter is, this makes just one, about a cup or so of honey, You can honey butter. You can double the recipe, triple the recipe. You could do whatever you want to do with it. It scales up completely fine. So orange honey butter and, you know, you want to make lemon honey butter? You can do that. You want to make lime honey butter and maybe put it on your chicken. There's all kinds of ways you can go with this, but the general process is the same. So orange honey butter. Look for a link on the show notes. I'll have a link to the recipe written out on the website. Roundtable number five, I call this one Tonks. This is a bit of a twofer, if you will, for this episode. It's another, if you could call it, recipe. But this is a topic that I see come up occasionally and people are always curious as to how to do it. What am I speaking of? How do you infuse honey with vanilla? Prior to COVID, we joined or discovered Injury's Vanilla Bean Group on Facebook. This was a Sharon thing. She found this group that sells vanilla beans. And you could buy vanilla beans from Madagascar and Papua New Guinea and X, Y, and Z. They sell them for really good prices and the products that come through are just astonishing. And we have probably seven or eight different variations of vanilla beans soaking in rum and bourbon and vodka and so on. One of the things we did back then was take vanilla beans and stick them in honey. And I happened to hold in my hand vanilla bean from Tonks. And I have to explain this is that that group, Injury Vanilla... Decided that they were going to give a name to each of the shipments of Vanilla Beans. And they named them after Harry Potter. Some are called Sirius. Tonks is a character in Harry Potter. There's another one in there. Uh, Ours are all labeled with like Hermione and so on. You get the gist. So the shipment that came from Papua New Guinea in 2021 was termed tox and Sharon reserved a couple of those beans and I recalled to time having the discussion about how should we do this and one of the thing I knew from making extracts is if you take let's go on a tangent a chili pepper and you stick it into honey that would work for a period of time if you were going to eat that honey rather quickly but the liquid in the chili pepper would eventually exude out of the pepper and go into the honey and raise the water content, and that would create the environment for the honey to ferment. So when you're looking at a vanilla bean, it also, depending on how it's shipped to you and how, how old it is, will have moisture in it. So what they say when you want to extract a vanilla bean into honey is you need to be careful at the moisture content. So what we did was we took a couple of beans and we left them sit out. When they come from Papua New Guinea, they're soft and supple feeling. They are absolutely gorgeous, plump, beautiful, long. It's crazy. For the amount of money you pay for an entire batch, you go to the store and you look in what's in the baking aisle at our local shop right our supermarket you get like one or two dried up shriveled beans that look awful they're not even close in comparison that being said we dried the beans by leaving them out for a couple days you could physically see them desiccate a little bit to the point where they weren't as soft they were a little drier now the good news is when you put them in honey it rehydrates them or plumps them up so to speak so I hold in my hand Number one, we made four different jars of this. One of them, we just took the bean, snipped the ends off, and stuck the bean in the jar. The second one, we cut the bean open, we stuck the remnants of the bean in the jar, and then the caviar, which are the little seeds, in the jar and let them float. I'm here to tell you that the one with just the bean is amazing. The one with the caviar is amazing astonishingly good so good Um, not a complicated thing to do again I don't know if you could call this a recipe stick in a vanilla bean it's one vanilla bean into one pound jar is what we did now these have been sitting since August 25th 2021 and it's January 6th 2024 as I'm recording this and they are amazing the flavor infusion is just off the scale It's funny because when you taste the honey, you get the honey, you get a clear vanilla note to it, and you get something, I don't know, I thought it got like a little orangey flavor to it almost. I don't know where where that came from. It is everything you would dream of, of a pure, beautiful vanilla bean stuck in a fresh, wholesome, wildflower honey. I'll see if I can find a link to Indri Vanilla's group and put it in the show notes if you search for it in facebook you can join the group i n d r i apostrophe s vanilla it's not honey but honey of a good deal i'll tell you and in that community which is amazing we've been following it since we discovered it there's a billion things to do with vanilla And they have recipes for cookies with vanilla and honey and other things and and liqueurs and you name it. Anything you'd ever think you could possibly imagine to do with vanilla beans, they do it. And they also have extract recipes where a lot of my recipes came from for my extracts and so on. So give it a look if that is of interest to you. So speaking of extracts, one of the things you could do if you have vanilla extract at hand is blend it into your honey. One of the suggestions from Injury Vanilla is that you heat your honey to 90, 95. You pour your extract in and you stir it until the extract is incorporated. And that's like a shortcut way to get through it. Now, most extracts are made with some sort of alcohol. Most notably, you could make it with something like Everclear, which you're going to get some of that alcohol flavor. And one of the reasons you would put your honey in a pan and heat it to 90, 95, 100 degrees is to kick, cook off some of that alcohol so that the vanilla flavor remains and you don't get a kick of alcohol when you do it. One of the things as beekeepers we could do to ensure we're not going to go south is to measure our honey and or do what I just said, which is put your honey in a pan and heat it up to dry it out a little bit. Take a refractometer and check the moisture level. If it's a high moisture honey, then it's probably not a good idea to throw a bean in, which is going to introduce a little more moisture and possibly take you above that threshold. If you use a very dry honey, 16% moisture something like that, then you'd be good to go. If you're not sure, you could take your honey and put it in a pan and heat it to 95 or 100 and let it sit on the stove a little bit until it thickens up and then put your honey bean in it quite frankly that's a little too fussy for me we just took our regular honey we dried the bean out a little bit and we stuck it in there so yeah vanilla infused honey it's as good as you think it would be amazing for baking and put on your pancakes and oh yeah it's so good You know, not to flog a horse, there's one other thing to say about this. is I found the website. in a mo- I took a moment break and went and looked. It is injuryvanilla.com. They sell other things. We've purchased peppercorns. Right now they have organic palm sugar from Indonesia for sale. And so not only can you get vanilla beans, you can get other products there. And it's just catch as catch can. Whatever shows up. That's what you can buy. Most of the time, they just keep cycling different vanilla bean varieties coming from different places, but uh, they do offer other products. It's kind of weird. They also make their own and have a gift shop and so on. So, you know, what, whatever you're interested in, if this is uh, something that tickles your fancy, go take a peek at what they have. Right now, you can buy uh, Mexico. You can buy Indonesia, Guatemala. Uganda vanilla beans, there's so many different kinds. And when you're there, you could start to read about the differences between the varieties and you'll get lost in it. Vanilla honey, oh yeah. Topic number one in this episode is propola. If you go to premierbeproducts.com propola, that's P-R-O-P. OLA, you will see an advertisement for the Hive. As advancements go for honeybee hives, this is not earth-shattering yet. I wonder if it serves the first salvo in a change for the industry. Their moniker is the natural habitat for the modern hive. It's so ironic that the label modern hive is actually taking us backwards. Hives today are made with substrates that are milled lumber. They have to be milled from rough cut lumber and what I'm speaking about if you're not familiar with this topic is this hive features a rough interior specifically milled or presented in a way that is not smooth like the typical hive you would see in a bee catalog but one that has texture to it so that the bees would deposit propolis the propolis envelope inside the hive is part of the immunity system antimicrobial antibacterial and or other properties that we could never know but the bees are smart enough to understand the great work by Marlis Bivick and others demonstrated to us that propolis plays such a major role. And in fact, the other day, someone texted me and asked, have you ever heard of feeding propolis back to the bees? And have you ever seen propolis taken by the bees? The answer to that is actually yes. I had a hive that made a massive amount of propolis. When you pulled the roof off, it was almost like the entire inner cover was lined with chewing gum that was stuck to the frames below it and it pulled off in big tappy poles that almost looked like caramel. At some point I had taken that inner cover off and put it in the backyard and one day I found that when it was left in the sun and got heated it created such an enticing aroma that there was a frenzy and almost looked like a robbing event where the bees came and chewed every inch of propolis off the bottom of that and took it back to the colony. I find that rather interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that, and I took a massive amount of pictures of it because it was something that I found so unique, but it serves to remind me of how important propolis is. I have to wonder if when you do this, take a colony and put it inside of a hive that has rough interiors. I'm sure they will build a propolis envelope, but will that change the colony to produce more propolis in its offspring? Isn't that an interesting question to ponder? The genetic traits of propolis are something that a lot of beekeepers over the years, since the bees were brought over from Europe, You know, the original bees, the the German black bee and others, were known to be high propolis creators, and it was bred out of the bees because beekeepers didn't like it. The propola hive is that hive that we've been hearing promise of. Eventually, someone was going to create a hive, and this is the first one that I've seen, where you can buy it commercially and it has a rough interior. And it makes me wonder, Dayton, Man Lake, and any of the others. Are you paying attention? Will this colony, I, or will this company, see any uptick in sales because they have a unique product in the marketplace? Now, if you follow the work, of roughing up the interior, you could do this on your own. And some people have taken to buying hives, and before they assemble them, there's a number of ways to roughen the interior. One of the most popular ones that I've seen is take a heavy duty drill and you put a coarse wire something that you would use to say strip the paint off of a metal coarse wire brush and you brush the interior until you scratch every inch of the surface. That kind of looks like what this particular hive offering appears the appearance of it it's a scratched surface and i think they hit it right what's interesting to me is how they chose to do it the gashes are pretty deep and by all appearances they run left to right instead of up and down what i mean by that is if you took a box and you set it down on a table And you looked at the interior, the texture goes left to right. It does not go up to down. Maybe that's up to down, (laughs) up and down. (laughs) Yeah, I'm having one of those moments where I just can't string together two sentences, but I shall carry on. And so I like what they did here. And I guess, and this is interesting, will this create any management problems in the hive what do I mean by that if you have a rough surface next to the end bar of a frame I have seen bees build bridge cone to that while they're depositing it it becomes close enough that they will connect them This is a problem that you see frequently in a top bar hive, in a wire hive, and so on. Where on a smooth surface, I don't believe they would be inclined to do that. And then the question is, the frame that sits against the woodenware, will they attach that face? Don't know the answer to that. What I do know is, if you have a top bar hive, and you continually scrape that off and keep it clean and keep it flat, they will stop doing it over time. Why do this? The whole point of this is to create a propolis envelope that will, let's just say, resist disease. That's one of the benefits that we hope to gain. Is there not enough propolis in the current hive? If you look at a frame, brand new, pearly white, pine frame that you put in a colony, and you take it out two to three years later, it's almost varnished. Most of that is probably from what the bees do when they walk on the frame. But some of that is actually deposited materials. And if you take a sharp hive tool and you scrape it off, you can scrape it off almost like a varnish. Now turn to the interior surfaces of a hive box and do the same thing you'll find that there is a propolis envelope on the equipment it may not be as easy to see and it might be a micro thin layer but it's there you can scrape back to the original woodenware i don't know whether this is going to be more beneficial the amount of propolis they put And is it just creating work for the bees? If you look up Marlis Bivick and... I'm sorry, I forgot the other person. I think his name is Thomas. That's offensive to me that I don't know the answer to that. But like I said, I'm having a mental moment, so just bear with me. You'll find that they did a massive amount of research as to the substrates and different approaches to scratch the surface and how the bees actually... Propolized it and so on. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I just want to say that they did a lot of work. And if you look at this website, there's a quote from Marla on there. I don't know whether they're tied together or they're just working independently. Somebody's carrying that work and creating uh, offering from it. But whatever the case may be, I'm just happy to see it. We heard about this research a couple years ago. It got furthered a year or two after that. And as recently as EAS last summer, they were talking about commercial offerings that may appear in the marketplace. And well, lo and behold, this one's it. So premierbproducts.com slash propola, P-R-O-P-O-L-A. That is the website. You can go take a peek at it. And if you look on YouTube University and look for Marla Spivak and other people's work on roughing the interior for propolis. Ask a chat GPT. It will find you the answer to that. And as you're in your winter months and you're planning for your equipment, maybe you take a hive. If you're planning to deploy a fresh hive and you rough the interior up in some of the manners that they show, And try that for a season. See how that works for you. Look to see how healthy your bees are at the end of the season. If there's any discernible difference. The health of the colony. I find this interesting and you know it's one of those to-do items on my wish list someday. I wish I didn't work a full-time job. It would be a lot easier to try all these fun things. So to Premier Bee Products, thank you thank you for putting this out it's much appreciated it's long overdue for the rest of you in the industry and I'm glad that they're providing a commercial offering I can't say to how good the boxes are and all that other stuff but just the fact that someone took the step in the commercial space to create this rough interior it's time for the general beekeeping population to get on board And figure out if this is going to be a benefit. And I honestly believe it's going to be. Which is why I spent the time in covering this. I'll have a link to the address that I shared in the show notes. You know, I have to put an addendum on this. It's offensive to me that I didn't know the name. And I went and looked it up. Michael Simone Fenstrom. Michael and Marla did the research for propolis and bee health, the natural history and significance of resin use by honeybees. That and more work was done by Michael and Marla together. Marla is probably the more well-known researcher because she's been around longer and has more public facing, what do you say? uh, You know, exposure, but Michael haven't seen him at EAS, I know he's done significant amount of work on this and has carried a heavy load and deserves credit for the work that he's done. So sorry, Michael, for that, but it's Michael Simone Fenstrom. And again, if you look those two names up, I want to say that Michael did much of the work under Marla's lab. And so, therefore, it is not right not to give him the credit uh, that he deserves for his part in this. And so, there's quite a few documents and or videos out there about this on YouTube if you're interested in doing your own, as I said, and check it out. Thank you, Michael, for the work that you've done. For topic number two in this episode, I'm going to call this one, Turn the Page. When it becomes a new year, you turn the page on the calendar. Figuratively, that activity does something mentally to me. It sets in the motion for planning for the new year, especially as it relates to beekeeping and, you know, New Year's resolution type things. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're just getting started and don't have bees, or you've had bees for years. Either way, in my estimation, the best approach is to plan the work and work the plan. And for some of you, it might seem a little foreign to be thinking about something that's going to take place in April. Because that's the time frame when the weather breaks and most of us get into the beekeeping season and start it in earnest. But the fact of the matter is, so many things require work that's done in specific stages with breaks in between. At case in point, if you're going to be building some new boxes, you need to think about all the activities that take place to having a box ready to go. Order the boxes, have them shipped, assemble the boxes, prime the boxes, paint the boxes, put the metalwork in to protect the frame rests and so on and so on. Don't forget all the miscellaneous tasks that go along with that getting the paint brushes, getting the paint itself, getting the primer. Before looking at the series of activities and tasks that make up the product of the project for painting your boxes, you probably underestimate how long it's going to take. And that's a lot of work to do, and it creeps up on you very quickly. And how many of us have everything we need in order to perform that type of task? So that's just one example of the many things that you can do. And by the way, that actual task is on my list. So it'll be the same thing that I'm going to do, plan that up in the future. But here's the rest of the story. Whatever you have to do, it's the perfect time to take inventory in the new year. Maybe that should be your beekeeping resolution. I like to, at this time of the year, first week in January, go through and make my plans for the entire year. I look at my current equipment. Are there any problems? Now's the time before the weather breaks to get those resolved. Do you like where you have your apiary set up? Do you need to move hives around in the cold while they're not flying? If you're new, do you have to plan your space? If you're getting bees, where are you going to put them? Is your yard suitable and ready to go? Now look, the ground might be frozen or there could be snow on the ground at any given time, but whatever you can do, you have to plan for it. What I think is somewhere along the way, my decade plus old equipment and some of the equipment that I picked up from other people that I rehabilitated and put into service is at the end of life. And a lot of that stuff is falling apart. So there's multiple projects that I'm going to do this year, including some of the I Wants. I want to try the side entrance that I talked about a couple episodes, the bottom board that I have to create from scratch to make that work. And I'm going to Be in the garage walking around looking at all my equipment and find 20 other things to do that I didn't count on. I walk through the apiary and I look at every single hive and make notes on it. Sometimes I use my phone. Sometimes I literally take a legal pad and a pen or pencil and go out and figure out everything that I have to do. And then I kick in my personal workflow. For me personally, I use Outlook to manage my tasks. One of the key things for it is I can set reminders or to-dos. I follow Getting Things Done, a program designed by David Allen, which is to plan the entire work best I can and figure out what my next actions are so that every time in between my crazy and busy life that I have a pocket of time that I can block to go do something, I can. Have the next action identified for myself. I try to figure out whatever activities need to take place and I break them into their tasks and walk through every single part of it to make sure that I have it. And that also helps me to gauge how long the entire estimate of the effort it is. With both the time figured out and the resources required, along with any external factors that you have to take into account, for example, in our paint the boxes. You can't paint in the cold. You have to find the right temperature and time frame to paint. And so you have to figure that out. One of the things people don't take into account is that it takes paint time to chemically dry. Before you put bees in them, they're highly sensitive. We've talked about in previous episodes. So there's a bunch of things to do, but you know it doesn't stop there. What are you going to do for swarm prevention in the spring? What are your goals for beekeeping in the year? How much honey do you want to make? What kind of splits do you need to do or want to do? And do you have the equipment to do it? Is there anything from your last year's notes that you need to try or do differently? Go look up through your notes and make yourself some to-do items. Here's one. From a maintenance standpoint, how old is your honeycomb? If you have comb that's more than three years old, you'd be well served to go through and cull that comb. That's a Kevin moment. You know, one of the things I want to do is start looking at the honeycomb in my honey boxes. Now, I know the bees nest down in the brood boxes, and they don't especially bring up all the nasties into the honey box, but you know what? They've been traped through the hive. And if there is pesticides on the bees, Well, all things are possible. It could be up in those boxes. And I have some honey boxes that I've had for years and years and years. So maybe it's time to look at the comb there and decide whether to cull it or not. Because whether we like it or not, it's all one big gene pool. All the germs that get walked around, the microbes and whatever, have to pass through the hive. And they don't necessarily keep it in the brood boxes. So, I don't know. I'm sitting on the fence, but this is one of those things that I'm evaluating for my plan. So, that being said, there's a lot of work to do. And there's a couple other maintenance tasks that you should consider to look at this year. How's your bee suit look? Is it dirty? Have you been stung a couple times through the suit and it's carrying some venom? Maybe it's time to get yourself a little tub and a little... Dawn dishwash detergent or whatever you want to use and clean your suit up. Get it washed and then hang it out to air so all the perfumes from whatever you use can dissipate before you get into the bee season. Get it clean, get it right, and get it fresh. Then let it air out because whatever scents are in the soap, you want that to be dissipated by the time the bee season comes along. So that's something you could do inside now in your house. What about this year's queen marking? Do you have your paints for you need that you need? Let me see if I can do this. Will you raise good bees? White, yellow, red, green. So this year should be green because I think white starts on zero. I'm... Never grade it. I always seem to have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure I have it right. So you need a green pen if you're going to mark your queen this year. Yeah, it's 2024 and I'm having a moment. But there's never a loss at things to look at. And while you have the luxury of time, now is a great time to plan. And again, if you wanted to change something, Maybe you didn't get to your swarms quick enough, and some of your hives swarmed away last year. Don't forget the pain that was inflicted from the previous season and the things you want to change in order to have it go a little smoother. Maybe you want to start a little bit earlier. Hopefully you have good notes on what went wrong and wrote out corrective actions for you to implement this spring when the weather breaks. Last part of this, this is the time of year where bee meetings occur in the spring everybody's energetic you tend to see state meetings and other get-togethers by local bee clubs and if you need to buy any equipment one of the best places to to get it is to order it for the meeting and while you're in attendance bring it home and skip all the shipping costs maybe you plan a day trip and drive out to someplace where you could pick up all your supplies So yeah, it's that time of year. Turn the page in the calendar to January and start to think about the things you need to do. And there's one thing I'll say about this. In the past couple years, I felt no better sense of accomplishment in practicing what I preach. When you plan your year and swarm season comes and you're looking at a box that is eminently going to swarm and you need to take action, the fact that you knew that was coming and you stage the equipment and you're ready to make whatever remediation you need to affect i'm telling you there's nothing better than being on top of your game you feel like a real beekeeper when that happens and that starts now in january it's so nice to walk over to a box realize that the action needs to take place and have everything at hand i've hit on a bunch of the highlights what, do your, what does your situation look like? What's your apiary look like? What do you want to do as far as your management practices? There's one other thing about thinking about April is that April is a number of months away. And while the weather is still cold, now is the opportunity to do some of the interior things that you might want to do. I love the holiday break. It's when I plan a lot of my block of time for projects. But perhaps you wanted to make candles or maybe you wanted to make some lip balm while it's still cold and that would be a great thing to make next week. Don't forget products of the hive and other activities that you could do while you're indoors and that also helps ramp you up and anticipate the start of the season. Turn the page. We're now in January. It's time to get your mojo on about the things you're going to be doing to become an outstanding beekeeper in the spring. You know, I think that's where I'm going to land it. Uh, Let's go to some closing comments. I feel like there's so much to do before the beekeeping season breaks for us. Equipment to prep, kicking off management for 2024. Uh, my plan there is to revamp the website and change the program delivery in the next couple of weeks here until mid of January. I ventured into making mead with fruit with Bob and we made a boche this year, which is a mead made with caramelized honey. And I want to talk about that, I have quite a bit that we learned in that effort. So no, no rest for the weary. I have a number of topics in the queue even from EAS this year, which is a wide mix of things to get on the airwaves in advance of the beekeeping season. It is with that in mind that I've been toying with an idea. I'm noodling recording smaller shows, shorter topic-based shows that either follow a theme or just pop up with some frequency about here's a something to know about thing. Well, I know that does me personally no favors because it creates a phenomenal amount of work in producing the shows. You know, building the show notes and production, I'm still toying with the notion of more topical shows and seeing if a new direction would serve me well this year. We'll see where the year takes us. In the end, I think it's likely going to be a hybrid, short burst shows mixed with traditional ones over time. And I'm toying with the idea of a weekly schedule. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) Boy, that's a lot of work as soon as it rolls out of my mouth. Anyway, Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you're doing well and looking forward to warm weather and the bounty of spring. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening and be well.